This episode is brought to you by America's Rehab Campus. Get on the road to recovery with the best rehab in beautiful Arizona. Dial 1-833-272-7342. That's 1-833-ARC-REHAB. Ladies and gentlemen, you are now tuned in to the Ladies and gentlemen, what is going down? Good morning. Thank you so much for tuning in to another episode of the Rcast. My name is Buddha, and I'm in the studio today with one of my homeboys. And it's crazy. We're going to go into the story of how we met and what he's doing in the community. But everyone that we're bringing in here, man, they're powerful powerhouses in the community doing things to help each other. You know, and, and I've known this guy for a few years. I truly believe in my heart that, you know, with relationships, friendships, you know, whatever it is, when God puts people in your life, sometimes they're there for a season, sometimes they're there for a lifetime, sometimes they're there for a reason. And my buddy right here that I got in the studio with me is my brother, man, and, and this is somebody that I feel like this is why we were meant to connect, dog. So everybody get about your seat and give a huge round of applause to my homeboy, the president, El Presidente, Jamal Givens. What's going down, dog? What's up, what's up, How you doing, bro? Doing well, man, doing well. Uh, just out here. Trying to make it happen. Yeah? Yeah, yeah. Trying to trying to help people, uh, help myself. And uh, yeah, just keep things, keep moving, man. No doubts. That's cool, man. It's good to see you, bro. Yeah, it's good seeing you. It's been a little minute, a little minute, but we both hustling. Yeah. Grinding and whatnot. So it's cool, man. That's cool. That's really cool. Yeah, I was uh, looking online and uh, I saw that you've been doing like a podcast and stuff with your son. What's going on yeah, with that? Yeah, man. Me and my son, uh, Zion, Zion Jamal Givens. Shout out. Yeah, we got a Up To It podcast. And um, yeah, it's a father son. We, we we were doing some research and uh, really looked out there and said, I mean, that we saw that there weren't really any men of color father son podcasts really out there, and we wanted to come together. He and I do a lot of things together as far as um, in the space of prevention and intervention of substance use and misuse and promoting mental health and wellness. And uh, we were like, man, why don't we just do a podcast? And, uh, you know, share with young young men out there the conversations that he and I used to have when he was growing up. Yeah. And so we spent, you know, when he's coming up, you know, I was always, you know, training, coaching, you know, inspiring him, putting things in him that my father put in me, you know, that was around spirituality and just making good decisions and my mom as well. And so we were like, let's let's share with people kind of the conversations that we had. Yeah. And we were like, let's just give it a shot. So up to a podcast up out there, it. Zion, you know, he's, uh, I think, 22 now, graduated recently, you know, about four years ago from uh, from Tucson High School out here cool. and uh, ended up going to ASU for a minute. And then uh, he decided that uh, during COVID that, you know, want to take a break. And so then he um, ended up getting a job in the field of uh, behavioral health. Is he really? Uh, That's yeah, cool. Yeah, yeah, doing prevention work. Wow. And, um, you know, he's killing it, man. He's killing it. One of the things that he's able to do well is connect with the younger people because he's young himself and got a little swagger and whatnot. Oh, yeah. And in addition to that, you know, he loves hip-hop, underground hip-hop. And he has his own podcast also called Takeover Lounge where they interview a lot of artists. If you remember, I think uh, you did something with him at the Dunbar. Yeah, yeah, man, ago, that was so. good times. He was, he was so, he was even younger back then. That's yeah. crazy. He yeah, was already that, doing. He was stuff in high like school. That. Yeah, he was a junior in high school at the time when he put that on and reached out to you and you came out and did a show. Yep. And so yeah, I mean, so he's he's good out time. there uh, being positive, man, influencing young people in a positive way, and um, just the father son thing, man. You don't you don't get a chance to see that a lot, and don't. Uh, being you know men of color just showing that. 
we are positive. We communicate with our kids because I believe that the narrative out there is that, you know, black men don't you know, hold it down. And, and not only black men, but men of color, because my son is he's biracial, blackskin. Yeah. Uh, black so and that we just don't and we don't communicate well and we don't uh, do things in a positive manner. And so we wanted to show something different. We wanted to show something different, and we're putting that out there and trying to see see where it goes. And we bring in guests ourselves, just different. Like we had Dr. Sherrod Robbins on recently. Oh wow! You know, talking about he was talking about you know using the N word okay. and where that comes from and uh, why we want to look at perhaps not using that and why it's so triggering. We had uh, another woman on just recently, Christiana, who's an, uh, an entrepreneur. And she uh, was sharing with people just about, you know, the importance of connectedness in the entrepreneurial space and going to social networking events and uh, putting yourself out there. And That's cool. That's and, that's really cool stuff. And letting like, you know, again, letting young people know that, you know, do it scared. You know what I mean? Don't be afraid to to put yourself out there. And sometimes you got to put the controller down yeah. the, for the <laughs> PS5, right? <laughs> and, and get some social connection because, you know, it, it's not always uh, what you know, but who you know. Yeah. And, and, and more importantly, it's not always about, you know, who you know, but who knows you. Yeah. And so in order for that to happen, you got to be out in, in spaces and saying hello to people and giving high, uh, high fives and, you know, giving a pound once in a while and yeah. uh, connecting. So, and I think that's the one thing that young people uh, need to remember. I know COVID threw a curveball at all of us, yeah. right? I mean, just worldwide, we were all all in that together, and it was it's easy to slip slip and stay into just looking at the you know Zoom, yeah, and or Google. Hey, I don't want to you know just give <laughs> unless we're gonna get, a, get some, some royalties from a Zoom or something. <laughs> yeah, for real, right? But uh, you know, it's not just about staying online. We I are mean, open for sponsorship, right? <laughs> Right. It's about like spending, you know, time with people, man. You know what I mean? And so that's really what it's all about. I'm just trying to share information. So yeah, the up to a podcast, check it out. Me and Z doing big things uh Zion Givens, like I said, but he goes by Z Give. Okay. So, yeah, he's going hard, man. He's going Z hard. Z give to the community, bro. That's what it yes, is. Sir. Yes, sir. So shout out and ladies and gentlemen, for everyone listening, I'll make sure to check the show notes of the episode. If you guys want to check it out, I think it's fantastic. I love seeing people in the community doing things that are uplifting. Let's see if I remember the phrase, it's up to it down to it we do it because we're used to it yes but exactly. no i think that's fantastic man and and like that that's what made me interested in you know really wanting to bring you on here is because i know you know how they say everybody's got a reason for why they do what they do and back when i was really really doing the music stuff man you 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 gave a lot to me bro in a lot of different ways like as a mentor as a friend as looking at somebody like um like an influence of somebody who's not just doing things for themselves you're doing things for the community and coming to where things are now you know being able to to focus on this podcast and bring amazing people into the community it's like i always think about those like pillars in my life like those mm. people who help to you know to just seeing how you guys are so selfless in doing things for other people in the community. Like, I think that's really, really cool. So that was one of my things was, you know, to not only talk about what you're doing now, but also what made you want to get involved in this type of yes, field? Sir. Was that, was that something that was a part of your life growing up? Yeah, man, it was, you got me going back here, which is all good is really my dad, man. And, um, yeah, him like just sharing that it's important to, to do God's work. You know what I mean? And he called it kingdom work. Mm, and um like that yeah kingdom work man and it was i kind of kind of fell into it a little bit because what happened was um you know I, i'm a privileged black man and so and what i mean by that and i say that with um 
with love um, because my dad made my mom and dad made some sacrifices so that my brother and I could have a better life. And so I was raised, I was born in, in, in Inglewood, L.A. Oh, wow. Uh, I didn't know that. Yeah, I was born in Inglewood, Inglewood up to no good. And I, I was raised, you know, born like, you know, what, three, four blocks from the forum, you know, what I'm saying where the Lakers was known and whatnot. And so my mom and dad were military. And so. My dad moved into Inglewood because that's where, like, you know, that's where black folks was moving and they were coming up a little bit and whatnot. And, and unfortunately, around the time um, that I was coming up as a young buck, I mean, young, young buck, gangs started moving. That's when gangs started to kind of become known and they're doing their stuff or whatever. Yeah. And um, I had seen some stuff, man, that uh, made my dad say, yo, I got to do something differently for my son because I, I, I it was me first, and then my brother came four years later. And um, when my brother was born, he was just like, yo, we got to shake this up a little bit. Because what I had seen, man, was, you know, I used to live across from a park. And the gangs would be in the park. There'd be shootings at night. And I see cats get caught up. And um, then there was a, um, I saw a dude get shot on my corner because there was a, a convenience store gas station on the corner. And I'm like five, six years old. Wow. You know what I mean? And I'm, you know, it's literally just down the block. So I'm on the street on my big wheel. You know what I'm saying? Like, ah, yeah. Yeah, just was, enjoying life. Yeah, yeah, just doing it. You know what I mean? And see this cat run out of the convenience store, man, and, you know, ends up popping the, uh, the cashier or whatever. And I saw that. And my dad was like, yo, I can't. Yeah, we got to get up out of here. And with my dad's uh, military connections and my dad being a photo science engineer, the trade that he learned in the Air Force, he was able to, to find a job overseas and working in an oil field, uh, oil company. He's not, wow. in the oil but so we went overseas, man, there soon after, you know, me seeing some of the things that I had seen, but I, I should share though. It was my dad did try to, you know, make it safe for us to, to come up so much so that he, he bought a, a retired guard dog. It was a, a German shepherd and her name was Fricka. And it was kind of cool, man. Cause I could go across the street to the park with this German shepherd and she would obey my commands. Uh, you know, if I say, come, heal, stay. That's you know, cool. That's I'm, really like, cool. I'm like a little little kid, like yeah. commanding this like big German shepherd. Like I said, it's retired. So I could go across the street, man, and play. Nobody would mess with me. But she was scared the hell out of people, man, the gang members. Because, <laughs> you know, sometimes... You know, a frisbee might go over by the by the gang members or whatever, or a ball or something, and she just take off. And yo, them <laughs> just, just, <laughs> them bros was like, "Oh, hold up, snap! What? <laughs> like, get that dog, get that dog!" Right? <laughs> and I'd be like, "Freaking come, come!" That G stuff go out the window. As soon oh as yeah, the dog yeah comes. right for real, man. <laughs> yeah, they funny. went hard. They went as hard anymore. <laughs> I was like, "You still like, see the little kid in them?" You know what I mean? So that was kind of funny That's once so in a funny. while. <laughs> so um, anyway, man, like my dad ended up getting uh i mean like he said who's trying to like put some things in place so we could stay there and but it, it just it just got out of hand man it just got out of hand and so he was like okay let's bounce so we ended up going to uh saudi arabia okay. uh, my dad ended up wor- working for an oil company called saudi aramco it was aramco at the time but it's uh, now saudi aramco it's the largest producing oil company in the world and i was basically raised there man from um 7 years old till like yeah you know Till I got out of college and all that. In Saudi Arabia? Yeah, you were man, there. Yeah. You were there that long? Yeah, yeah. Uh, so 
was that a culture shock for you? Like, like even at seven years old, did it trip you out being in? Nah, man, it was just, you know, you, you don't know no different or no better. And it's just like, for a minute, just like going on vacation. You know what I mean? Like, you're like, oh, I'm in a different country, okay. Wow. Let me see how to move and groove. And, uh, you know, I'm just looking for little friends to hang out with. And, uh, yeah, so, yeah, so we, we, we went there. And then um, to tell a story, man, it's, it's crazy. So the... First time we went to Saudi, my dad was with the company and that company, you know, was taking care of us and everything. And it was a situation where my parents were involved. I should say my mom, not my mom, not my dad at the time, but in, in using substances, using marijuana. Okay. You know, my dad grew up in that era. My dad didn't, didn't use, he used to when he was, uh, he messed with it once in a while when he was younger, he said, but my dad was a pianist, organ, played the organ and director of the choir for, for uh, uh, gospel choirs and stuff okay. like that. And also had a band and that, that goes into the Saudi piece, but I'll, I'll get to that in a minute. And so um, what had happened was my mom had, was able to get in Saudi Arabia. You're not supposed to have drugs at all, period. No ifs, ands, or buts about it. What happens if you get caught with some over there? You, you can get de- you can get decapitated, decapitated. Really? You can get lashes. You can get yo. You wow. could you could die, man. Literally, uh, they put you in prison. I mean, the gamut is it's full. I mean, you can yeah, you could die. Wow. They, they can, and so that and to my to that point, what's crazy is so my mom had a little bit of a uh, marijuana that she had gotten from somebody in the community. I mean, again, Americans, you know, they find a way to get their hands on things, and my mom made some bad choices. So she had some uh, some stuff, and we had gone out to dinner. Uh, especially my parents went out to dinner, and they had somebody watching my brother and I. It was like a teenager in our compound. We call it a compound. And they, um, I don't know if they had heard that my mom had some, or they were just, you know, teenagers looking around in drawers or whatever, and they found, like, a joint that my mom had, and they uh, ended up on a balcony smoking it, and then... Um, the somebody across the way saw uh you know saw them or whatever and reported it and then um the what happened was not sure what happened at that point in time but the next day i think it was or next week those same teenagers know knew that my mom had some stuff so they broke into our house and so we lived on the second floor and so they climbed up onto the balcony or whatever and, you know, nobody locked their doors and saw it because, I mean, if you break into something, I mean, you literally can get in trouble. I mean, serious trouble. Like, same, same trouble as if you find drugs on Yeah, 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 <laughs> exactly. Similar, man. Like, you know, Saudi don't play, man. Saudi Arabia don't play. And so, um, again, another neighbor saw them and was like, yo, what are y'all doing? And ended up calling security. And uh, security came out and um, they ended up having some stuff on them. And, of course, they were like, it's not ours. We got it from their house, this, that, and the other, which was true. And so next thing you know, man, literally, we were deported, if you will, or transported out of the country within like eight hours, within eight hours. Like they came, it was like eight or 10 o'clock at night, security, and then some other folks, uh, I don't even know who they were or whatever, but they were they were officials for the company that was like, yo, we got to get them, we got to get them out of here because if uh, the, the locals, the nationals, uh, know what happened, then we got to go under their law. But because the company my dad worked for at that time, you know, they protect their their employees, but if you make stupid mistakes. So literally, bruh, 
10 o'clock, I remember 8 or 9 or 10 o'clock at night, they're talking to us and saying like, yo, you know, you get, my dad was like, yo, I got to go pack up your stuff or whatever you can put in a suitcase. And then like at, uh, our plane left at like 5 o'clock that morning. We were out. Boom. Gone. Everything. Wow. Just like that, man. And that might be part of the reason why I, um, maybe that's where, you know, my, I, I didn't realize it at the time, but now, you know, why maybe I'm, uh, have a, a challenge with substances um, impacting people's lives because it in, impacted ours. Yeah. Um, just by a bad decision or choice that my mom made that rocked our world because we didn't know where we we're coming back to. My dad didn't have anything necessarily set up for us to come back to. Yeah. I mean, we're on a plane within eight hours. Where, where are we going to live? Where are we going to stay? You know what I mean? What are we going to do? We got family, yeah, but uh, my dad hadn't been that connected to his family for a minute because he's been in the military, traveling, doing his thing. And so, I mean, we, man, we had a Benz, you know what I'm saying? We was like, we was living the life. Again, the studio, con, or I should say the condominium that we had that was on the second floor or whatever, it was tight, man. We was we was living, you know what I mean? And I got all disrupted and then ended up coming to the States. I don't know why my dad picked, how he picked, what he picked, but we ended up being in Atlanta. I mean, my dad had eight hours. I'm sure they were like, just pick one. Yeah, where, where you want to go? You got to tell us because you got to go. Right? Yeah. We don't care, you know what I'm saying? Because if we don't get you out of here, you could literally, you know, lose your life. And so he get, he picked Atlanta. I don't know why, but he did. And so ended up uh, being in Atlanta, man, landed in Atlanta and uh, spent a year or two there. Yeah, just, and our life was disrupted, man. We were living out of a, a, a hotel, man, for like a few months until my dad could find a job. Um, you know, get some paper up under him, get some things going again. But, you know, my dad, I mean, again, I don't know what happened, you know, in the bedroom or the conversation between my mom and dad whatsoever, because <laughs> my dad, mom were making sure that it didn't, you know, impact us as much as it, you know, that it could have, but ended up, you know, my dad put, making it work, man. And my mom too, my mom ended up getting a job at Coca-Cola, Atlanta, that's where Coca-Cola's from. Uh, wow. And my dad, uh, ended up getting a job doing some of the work that he was doing, but just for, you know, in America and ended up, man, ended up getting an apartment first. Uh, wasn't as nice as the one we had in Saudi. <laughs> and how old were you at this time? When you now, came back? probably about eight, not nine, eight or nine. So it was a then. couple years. Yeah. Couple yeah. Yeah. Years. Okay. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I was back for, uh, so I said like we left when I was six or seven, Left Cali, stayed there in Saudi probably for like a year, a year and a half or so before that popped off. And then, uh, yeah, being in Atlanta for another year and a half or two tops because uh, I remember going to school. I remember being in second or third grade, man, and having to be in like the, man, like, yeah, that's where life like changed for me, man. Yeah, we're beginning to recognize things or understand different things. Because, man, I had to go to like to, you know, after school programming at the YMCA and stuff like that. And that's where I learned how like to fight because you had to hold your own. It was really weird, man. It was, yeah, it was some of the places we were were a little, little rough. Man. Coming little, back. Yeah, being in Atlanta, it was a little rough, man. So was that more of a culture shock for you coming back yeah, from Saudi Arabia that first time? Yeah, definitely, definitely. Wow. And, uh, you know, hanging with my peoples and then figuring out how to move within it man like yeah that's what i said learn how to fight man and having to throw down and uh remember this one time man this dude just kept picking on me because i'm all i'm a big dude heavy set no doubts uh what, what my man gabriel say uh fluffy you know what i mean yeah. and, <laughs> shout out to gabriel <laughs> right and uh 
trying to figure out like, you know, saying how to move in these spaces at the YMCA. And this dude will always pick on me, man. And it wasn't, a, it wasn't even about my weight. It was just, they were clowning. And I didn't know how to like, you know, get back at it, clap back at him. You know what I mean? Yeah. I, I didn't have the, I didn't have the, the gift of gab, like, you know, he had or whatever. And again, like we, we eight or nine years old. And, um, I remember, man, I, I just got so fed up. And this actually happened to me even in California. I, I got a limit. And once it, it gets past that limit, man, I just flipped the F out. <laughs> I just flipped the F out. I'll tell a story in a minute about that. But this kid, man, like just kept just kept like digging on me. Man, he had a fro. And like, you know, I threw a couple of punches. Next thing you know, I grabbed that brother by his fro, and I was just like spinning him around by his head <laughs> in his fro. And uh, and then threw him across the room because I mean I was strong, you know what I'm saying? And uh, I just remember, man. And then uh, we got in trouble, so they were like, "Yo, if y'all gonna fight, y'all gotta put on the gloves. Y'all gotta put on the gloves, and you guys gotta go to the middle of the, uh, the center of the floor." I like in the, that in the gym. You have to like dance in there. I mean, like fight, you know what I'm saying? And so uh, put the gloves on, and yo, yeah, gloves hurt, man. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I remember, I, he caught me one time in my rear. I was like, ah! Next thing you know, man, we was at it. We was going. And, uh, you know, lit him up a couple of times. He definitely got some in on me. And that's when I learned, like, no matter when you fight, even if you win, you still can get hurt. You know yeah. what I mean? Like, Absolutely. <laughs> still walk away with a black eye or hurt ribs or, or whatever it may be. It ain't, it ain't, you ain't really win. Yeah. You, you you walking away with some damage too. Yeah. And so uh but yeah, man, I like you know that's where I kind of learned how to fight and um, you know, when I was in Atlanta and, you know, learning just about, you know, people slaying in and uh at a young age, man, it was crazy just what I was seeing and kind of exposed to and learning. And, and you know, and that's what's kind of ironic is that my dad was trying to get us out of that, um, you know, leaving LA, Inglewood, and then end up in Atlanta kind of dealing with the same thing. It was on a different level because it wasn't necessarily gangs. So it was just people that were slanging. That's what I was going to ask was like, what were the similarities like in comparison? Like what were the differences from ATL to, you know, LA? Like did do you, was it pretty much like the same type of culture? No. Like? So that's what I was going to say. No, I appreciate you. Yeah. It's, it was different because um, it was different just the way that they moved. And so I, I'm just an observant person and kid i've always just been observing i just watch a lot of times even till this day like i go into new spaces and i'm just kind of people are like yo how come you have being yourself i'm like oh this is a new space for me let me just check it out for a minute so, yeah <laughs> i don't want to be like just you know popping off i'm not one of those cats that walk in like <laughs> now if i've been there for a minute then yeah but in in the beginning i'm just i'm observing i i guess that's just in my spirit yeah be that way ever since i was little just watching what's going on and what's moving i see things that sometimes people don't see and i think that was probably just having to be careful you know uh when i was a little one in inglewood and after seeing what i did see but the difference was you know as i ponder it now and think about it was just in inglewood with the gangs it was about violence Mm-hmm. Right, and they were make sure their territory and like just the stuff you know about gangs in Atlanta. They weren't. Don't get me wrong; they can go in that way, but that's not how they were moving. It wasn't. They were just selling. You know what I mean? And so I could see that they weren't necessarily unless, unless um, you know somebody did them wrong. It was normally against. And I, and the thing is, they didn't even look like gangs, like the brothers. They just looked just normal, like you know what I mean. But the gangs. 
they were sporting their colors okay. and you know all that stuff in Atlanta when I was coming up. They they didn't move like that. They just look like normal cats that was just in the streets, you know what I mean, doing their thing. And so it was kind of difficult to tell. Um, so that's one of the things that I noticed that was different. But uh, the uh, but the other thing that was interesting though was because Atlanta, I lived in College Park. Um, so those are you know, Park. what is it? College Park, Bubba Park. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, yeah. So I was in College Park, man, and um, and again, this was a community that was coming up for black folks. And yo, my dad ended up getting us a nice house, you know what I mean? And my uh, little subdivision that we lived in was dope. And um, it, it was cool. I mean, we had a, like a roller skating ring down the way. And that's when, you know, roller skating was in and brothers doing their thing and get to, you know, you know, meet the little ladies and whatnot. And so, yeah, this is even, and like I said, this is third, fourth grade. I miss those, bro. Those right. roller skating rings. It was so <laughs> fun, bro. Oh, man, that's cool. And so, yeah, just, again, just. And again, I'm not, I'm little man, so I'm not thinking about a career or a job or yeah. anything like that, right? I'm just I'm just taking this all in, and so like yeah, just to go back a little bit as far as the uh, like I got a limit and I'll flip, and my mom you know had to teach me how to control it, but it takes my threshold is high though. I mean my tolerance is high, but um, but if I get to that point is because I remember in uh, L.A. Uh, I guess I was playing with one of my my friends. Like I said, I was five or six. I, my mom says, I don't know, my mom tells a story all the time where she's like, yeah, I was out the window just washing dishes. I was I was, I was in the house looking out the window yeah. and I was washing dishes. And she's like, I saw you, Jamal, man. Like, your friend Kevin, he did something to you. And next thing you know, you picked up that metal tricycle. It was about <laughs> to slam it. I had to run out the house, baby, and get you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's what's up, man. And I don't remember what it was, but he got me to a point where I was so frustrated. Should have been talking <laughs> shit. Right, right. I had to let him know, like, yo, picking up a metal tricycle. I'm five years old. I don't know if people remember those metal. I'm aging myself probably a little bit, but dude, those dude, things were heavy, bro. Yo, right? You know what I'm saying? And I'm over. She said it was over my head. And I was oh about to man! Slam and, uh, <laughs> so again, just just levels a uh, threshold and trying to figure that out. But in Atlanta, man, it was it was good times, though, man. That's it was good. good times. You know, it was really interesting too when you think about. I don't know what it was, and I can't put my finger on it, but it was also very. Um, I don't know, and maybe this is for a lot of other people. But very, why would you say this? Like just a lot of energy around sex in the in the in the area. So, so what? Uh, what what year is this? This is the eighties. Yeah, that yeah. makes perfect sense. I mean, the culture, like you said, College Park is coming up. You got Rick James. You got all kinds of cool ass music. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? I mean, that's that's the Charlie Murphy. That's the eighties right, right there, bro. Okay, you know okay. what I'm saying? So like, it makes perfect sense because that that was just emphasized a lot back then yeah people were getting more comfortable with with sexuality and the cocaine's hell of a drug that was starting to come yeah. out in the 80s too you know what i'm it's saying interesting yeah yeah i just remember like there's just all this energy around uh not the initial act of sex but the yeah just sexualized mm -hmm. i think even um damn, i forget a movie that came out that was kind of risque dang man back uh, in the 80s high school uh, uh uh, Fast Times at Ridgemont. Oh yeah, uh, I think yeah. around, I think around then it might have been that might have been later though. All but right, um, all right, all right, you're right. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I just remember. Yeah, and, and, and I guess I don't I don't see it the way that I did then, even now. Even though I think like you know I, I see you know because I work in high schools and uh, things of that nature. But uh, it was just it's still different. 
it was a lot more. I know like adults now are like, oh my God, they're like, nah, it was a lot more to me from my perspective back then. I think so. Um, but anyway, the reason I bring that up is just to say that, uh, again, you were just asking like what the difference and yeah. what I was seeing and, and, and coming up. And I think those were some of the things that, for me that were happening and like and that's when rap was just beginning like so you know jermaine dupree and all them were uh, you know out and about toward the 80s right mid 80s yeah. and basketball definitely huge in atlanta so again my dad didn't want me in that environment and so he was making connections and so we went back to saudi about a year and a half two years later oh man and uh with a different company because what had happened wasn't on the books what had happened wasn't on the books. Nobody, I mean, it was, it was like they erased us, you know, from that first company and even being out there, which is good for, uh, you know, my family. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and um, so, yeah, we went back as if though nothing happened. My mom, you know, of course, she was devastated in the choices that she made. So she laid that stuff down, um, you know, marijuana and didn't mess with it at all. And yeah, we went back, man. And then, you know, the rest is history. I mean, we, we just lived there for the rest of, uh, my parents came back to the States, I think, in, um, I want to say 20, no, 2005. Ooh, That's when you came back with them, bro? Seven. Well, so, yeah, what's interesting, yeah, yeah, no, I was already here. So living in Saudi Arabia and working for Saudi Aramco, when you get to ninth grade, you have to leave the country because you're a teenager and the things that we were just talking about, drugs, sex, <laughs> rock and roll. Yeah. They don't want you interfering with their their culture. So as an American that was there working for a company, they say, you got to go. So your parents have two options. Your parents can either, you know, quit the company or retire or leave or whatever they want to do, or they can send you to boarding school. Your parents can send you to boarding school. And so there were a couple of our friends whose parents were like, no, nah, I'm not sending my baby to boarding school and this, any other. So they ended up, they ended up leaving the company and moving back to the States and their parents found another job and did whatever they had to do. But um, the majority of our parents sent us to boarding schools. So boarding school, and that's why I say I'm privileged. It goes back to the whole privilege thing is that, it's so you know, fascinating to me. <laughs> it really is, man. Yeah. Like, I mean, again, when you work for an oil company, I mean, your parents are making paper. You make your mad money. So anyway, that's, again, that's why I say I'm privileged because I've had these opportunities that, that many don't get, especially being black. So my boarding school is, it's like applying for college. So at a young age, my, me and my friends, um, we had to like apply to these different boarding schools. And you could, there's boarding schools all over the nation and the world. And, you know, when you're in that environment with these people that have been doing this for a day, they're like, hey, do you want to go to, you know, uh, Tassus, uh, France? That's the name of the, one of the boarding schools or Tassus, Rome, or you want to go to Switzerland? They got boarding schools there. Or do you want to go to uh, Hawaii prep? Uh, Hawaii wow. has a boarding school. Connecticut has a ton of well-known boarding schools. You know, you can go to Vermont. You can go to Texas. I forget the other one. There's another military, one military that I'm, I'm very familiar with. It was Culver. I forget where that is. Some of my friends went there. And so you got to apply to these schools, though. Even though you got money, you still got to apply. And they're they're also looking. I mean, these are private schools, of course, right? And they're looking for certain people or certain caliber of folks and whatnot. So you're applying just like you do when people might be more 
be able to understand to college, but it's the same thing for boarding school. So, and with that comes rejections also. That's nuts. In boarding school. And here you are, you know what I'm saying, 13, 14, and applying to these schools, and you get rejection letters. You know what I mean? So most middle and high schoolers ain't even thinking about that yet. They're trying to wait until, you know, junior, senior year. But here you are, you know, like I said, you know, transitioning from that middle to, middle to high school and having to deal with that. So I applied to a few schools. Uh, I think one was Stony Brook, Stony Brook. Um, and then I applied to St. Johnsbury Academy. I think I applied to one more school. And um, I didn't get accepted to Stony Brook. But in Stony Brook was like the one school that a lot of my friends were going to go to because it had a, uh, it was also a lot of people from our church were, um, and people were like, church in Saudi? Yeah, this is Islam, but Muslim. But because we're on a, a compound, which is kind of like a base, if you will, yeah. but not, you could have, we could do the things that Americans can do. Outside of the base, no yeah. compound. Uh, but it, we had, a, you know, a non-denominational church and we, we would do, you know, have church and stuff like that. But a lot of the students that I was kicking it with, they were, they were going to Stony Brook. And my test scores, I guess, weren't good enough. And uh, I didn't meet their, their, so I got that rejection letter, man. And that one hurt, man, because here, here's people I, you know, grew up with ever since, uh, you know, fourth grade or whatever it is, fourth, fifth grade. And, you know, we running together and, oh, you're going to go to that school? I'm going to go to that school. You know, just like you do, you know, in high school and you're saying, oh, man, we should go together and this, that, and the other. And then you the only one that don't get accepted. You're like, ah, dang. Man. It hurts. Like, okay, what am I going to do? I got these other two schools. One of them nobody else is going to. There's this other one where uh, actually my brothers were still brothers i mean black dudes because in saudi the compound that we lived on or the campus if you want to call it that too is there was only like four black families amongst a gang of other white folk and we had some dominicans and some uh puerto rican one or two puerto rican you know so did you go to school on the compound, or did yeah, you? Go, yeah, oh, yeah. Okay, so it's not like you were out like at, at like at Saudi Arabian schools. I thought maybe you no, were, like, no. that's what I was curious about because that's so interesting to me, bro. Yeah, I've been here my whole yeah. life, dog. Right, right, right. You yeah. know what I'm saying? So like this, it's just this is interesting. <laughs> like you're my homie, but we've never talked about nah, this. Nah, nah, nah. Yeah, we always talked about music and doing music and singing and karaoke and stuff, but uh, <laughs> videos. Yeah. But um, yeah, man. Um, it was it. You know, just going to boarding school and. Uh, so school there, so just so people know, there's a group of us out there called Aramco Brats. We That's the name of the company, Aramco, and we're brats, meaning yeah. <laughs> just these little kids that uh, come up in this world. And um, they have a they had a, uh, you know, elementary school and a junior high. It's on a compound. It's uh, for expats, expatriates. Uh, those are people that are from the, a different country that come into this country, to Saudi Arabia, and they work for the company. We... As Americans, even if you're British or, you know, a different culture or ethnicity and race or whatever, you don't have any true footing in that country. You are a visitor wow. <laughs> and, and, and you know it. And so, like, this whole idea of being, and this is kind of what kind of, I guess, shapes my world a little bit too, right, is, you know, in America, white people are uh, white males are predominant you know what i mean that's what runs things in saudi arabia even if you're a white man and you're in saudi arabia you don't hold that clout 
you don't hold that clout. That's their country. They do things the way that they want to do it. They make the rules. You ain't got no say. Um, and it's not a bad thing. It's a different country. Yeah. Right. So that kind of shapes my world a little bit, worldview and understanding that, you know, things are different for different people in different places. And so I don't even know how I got to that point. But the schooling was we're on a compound. And this compound, mind you, is amazing. I mean, we got Olympic-sized pools. We got professional wow. soccer fields. We got professional baseball fields. Some are not all. Not all of them are professional. Uh, but, we, I mean, it's just a beautiful campus. We get, I mean, we went to school, man. So back in the day, when I first started going to school, we had Greyhound buses that we went to school in. Then within a year or two, they upgraded to Mercedes buses. We go to school in Mercedes buses. <laughs> That's crazy. You know, and it, yeah, that was just kind of how it was, man. Yeah, our bus line, like, you know, taking a natural, a regular bus like we do here in, in the cities, our buses were Mercedes buses. And wow. just amazing. The AC was amazing. A lot of I money mean, in that country, huh? Oh, I just picture dudes with like tigers and like gold <laughs> chains. Like I think of Buster Rhymes videos for some reason. I don't know why. <laughs> no, nah, that's it's not like that. They're, they're mostly in their in their in their um, their outfits. Uh, but yeah, they don't they don't bling they don't bling that much. They actually look more uniform. I mean, sometimes there's some robes and things like that. Yeah, that they wow, that, that nice. show that show some of the uh, royalty or royaltyness, if you want. Um, yeah, but majority they all look similar. You really don't know, no. I mean, we you know they got money, but they all look kind of similar. And nobody's like, at least back when I was coming up, nobody was flashing out or dripping like that. But you know, they definitely have money. So you know, we, we had uh, so on this campus on the campus that I was raised on, if you will, and my friends, we, yeah, we just did, went to school at uh, Daharan Junior High School. Um, nice facility. We had a, we had a snack bar. It reminds, so, yeah, it's come out kind of like a, uh, oh, what was it? Zoe, Joe, Zoe, Zoe 101. Uh, there was a TV show yeah, for I remember kids that. or something like that. I mean, we had like our own snack bar where you can get like hamburgers, French fries, pizza, milkshakes, wow. and you can hang out over there. We had our own rec center where it was for the high schoolers where we had all the the games, Centipede and Pac-Man and Space Invaders, pool tables, ping pong tables. Uh, we had a quiet room. You could watch videos and stuff like that. So, yeah, man, we was... We was uh, Everything yeah. was on that compound. Yep. Everything's on the compound. Did you guys often go off the compound? Were yeah. you allowed to? Yeah, yeah, yeah best, big time. Yeah, you can go downtown and go shopping. That's where you know that's where you get all your gold. Get yeah, that, get that Saudi gold, man. Ain't no joke. You could never find anything less than eighteen karat. I mean, that's there's nothing crazy. less than eighteen karat gold. That's so interesting to me. Hearing you say like so, only Americans have to leave. Period. If, if yeah. once you reach what age, fifteen. Uh, 14, 13, 14. And are you allowed to go back to the country after that? So you can, age? you can go back and visit. You can okay. go back and visit, right? Your parents. And so that's what, you know, I was doing was, so I got accepted to boarding school. I ended up going to Vermont, St. Johnsbury Academy in from, uh, St. Johnsbury, Vermont with, with some of my boys, again, some of the black dudes that we, um, that I came up with and a couple of white dudes. And part of the reason I chose that school was because of the music. One of my uh, homeboys, this one cat named Mike Cote, he and I were doing music together. And he said, oh, man, they got a great choir. You love it over here. And so I ended up going out there uh, partly the main reason because of, of the music thing. And then some of the other homeboys uh, ended up 
going to. So it was like four or five of us total from Saudi, at least when I went. And we're, there was one or two older than me um, that were there. But we uh, ended up in St. John's Bear Academy, uh, St. John's Bear Academy in Vermont. And now this was an all white state. Vermont's an all white state. It's the whitest state in America. But what was interesting in learning all this is, man, it was one of the dopest small towns that one could be. I mean, because they, they, they looked out for us, man. It was, I mean, there wasn't nothing to do. Don't get me wrong. I mean, we're <laughs> out in the boondocks. Wow. So you got to, this boarding school, and most boarding schools are, they're kind of out. And the, I mean, the things that we did, like on a Friday night, you'd hang, hang out at the parking lot of the McDonald's and it was the McDonald's and a bank and you'd be in the parking lot just hanging out. And then the locals, which uh, they call themselves sometimes rednecks in their trucks, uh, driving around just in the parking lot, you know what I mean? Like doing laps. And of course, sometimes they were out there doing some other things, meaning like going out to the field and drinking and, you know, whatever, drinking and drugging. Um, Not all of them, but uh, you know, doing, teenage stuff wow. but the majority of us because if we ever got caught drinking and stuff like we get kicked out of the school so but everybody would just hang out in the parking lot and be like what's up man what's going on they had like one place uh that people would go eat pizza um and so that's kind of like a big highlight like oh, good. but you know some of us couldn't afford it all because our parents even though again we were privileged a lot of them most of our parents didn't go big willy and let, let us just splurge you know what i mean yeah. we, we had an allowance where they'd be like, yo, you know, you get, you know, $50 a week. That's it. You know, uh, <laughs> and, but, but mostly everything was taken care of anyway. I mean, that's cool. Food and dorms. And- One of my biggest questions, because I'm just so, like I said, growing up here and, you know, we moved, but we're still pretty close. You know what I'm saying? I'm like, what was the biggest culture shock for you coming back to the States? Cause I know also on top of that, what were some of like the changes that you experienced? Cause I could only imagine, I mean, you're, you're here in the Americas for a little bit, right? You're here in the States for a little bit. You're creating friends. After a couple of years, you're back to the place that you left from initially. Then you stay there for a few years. Then you have to come back here again. Like, mm-hmm. did you have any type of resentments or anything like that? Or like, what was going through your head at this time? I'm so curious to learn about, like, you know, how, you know, creating new friends, things like that. Like, how did yeah. that affect you? Yeah, yeah, that's what's up. It's, um, I don't know. I mean, I guess because I started at such a young age, just moving around that it was just a part of me. You know what I mean? Just yeah. knowing how to make friends and putting yourself out there. So that that wasn't part. I think the culturally, I think what was challenging from Saudi. So when you so living in Saudi Arabia, right? At least at the time when I was, they didn't have like a lot of the stuff that you know people are used to in America. Meaning like the milk is different. The they don't have Coca Cola because you know it has some relation to do with uh, Israel. They don't have the same products. They have limited amount of products. You can't find certain food or clothes, you know what I mean? Like, or candy, like they didn't have like pop rocks or vans or OP or they didn't have any of that stuff. So you'd be excited to come back to the States to get your hands on that type of stuff. Yeah. And then, um, so culturally, I think that that was one thing, food, clothes, music. So in Saudi, it was very difficult to get your hands on music because they would censor a lot of stuff. And so like when you come into the country, 
they would go through your bags. And if you had like magazines, let's say, and again, dating myself, but it's all good. Magazines that had pictures of girls. I mean, just regular girls. Yeah. I mean, just maybe like your Vogue or your Glamour and nothing risque. Yeah. They'd rip those pages out of the magazine. Wow. And yeah, and music wise, it was a lot of the music was sometimes edited um, on cassette tapes and stuff like that. They would, um, we try to like sneak those things in sometimes because I mean, they weren't going to listen to all your music at the, you know, when you're coming into the country, they ain't got time to do all that. But so that, that was selective to a certain degree. Videos, sometimes people would sneak in videos that had, that were rated R. And again, not, I'm not talking about pornographic, so I'm just talking about you. Because in Saudi, they they wouldn't show, like, we had a movie theater that we could go to. And sometimes you'd be in the movie theater watching a movie, and you'd be like, why is this, like, doesn't make sense? And part of the reason being is because the movie was chopped up. They take oh, out pieces where maybe somebody kissed, or if there was a sex scene, they cut that out. If there was, uh, even sometimes holding hands. They cut that out. Wow. And so you're watching a movie and you're like, what? Wait, what What just happened? What, what's going on? So they would censor things. So some of the shock for me, I think, coming back to the States was being able to see what was on TV. Like, Man. what? The other thing was like when I was coming up there, again, there was, you know, we didn't have internet and all that stuff. They, um, uh, TV was only on. And they they censored what we watched. So we could only, I mean, a lot of times the only thing that was on, and again, this is when I was little, was like Sesame Street, Electric Company. Wow. That was it. You know what I mean? So we didn't get we didn't get exposed. And that's why I think maybe the other part when I was talking about Atlanta and it being so sexualized to me was because I didn't I didn't yeah. see a lot of that at all coming up um in Saudi. They just they didn't let you really, you know, mess with that. So I think culturally that was as a young person. Uh, one of the things that I probably noticed uh, was just the lack of things, I should say options, mm-hmm. or the options were different. You know, the the products, name brands and things, they weren't the same. Wow. Uh, like a lot of times we get our clothes made of tailors. We had tailors that make suits, shirts, slacks, shorts. You know what I mean? So sometimes people would get their clothes made of good, great quality and and very inexpensive, you know what I mean? So a, a old trade, right, of just getting suits. So Yeah, getting you know, suited for it. And fit for you. Yeah. You know what I mean? Anybody like else. not just off the off the rack, you know what I mean? <laughs> that's good. That's that's so interesting to me. We have to go I'm going to have to go back and check it out. Our buddy Justin came through uh this is a long time ago, man, but he he grew up in South Africa. Mm-hmm. And he was talking about the differences there when he came to the States and just how everything was just so like, oh, like he, he just got he got he ended up cre- creating an addiction to alcohol, things like that when he mm-hmm. came to the States when he wasn't swimming. But that's what it reminds me of, man. It's just like yeah. the, the amount of excess that we have as a country, unless you haven't lived, unless you've lived anywhere else, it's kind of hard to get a grasp on that. Right. No, definitely. hundred percent. And so, yeah, I can definitely understand the um, transitional challenges for people trying to, you know, come into this country and figure out how to move wow. it, it can be lonely because again i mean being an american is one thing meaning i know it right so but i know how it can feel to not be american and and be here i i, I 
I have an idea. Let me say it like that. I have an idea of how yeah. it can feel because I, I can sense that challenge. I mean, if I had only grew up in Saudi and didn't know, like you had said earlier, like, you know, the uh, California piece and the yeah. Atlanta piece, I probably would definitely be lost just like anybody else because it's a different, it's definitely a different feel. And so then you want to, you know, especially as you become older, trying to figure out how to cope, um, you know, might end up using substances to, to do that. And yeah, I think like, Culturally, I think the 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 drug scene and the the flow of alcohol and stuff like that, and, and don't get me wrong, like in Saudi, there were people that were making their own wine and their own beer, but you couldn't. There is no liquor store in the country. I mean, where are you we allowed were. to make your own stuff? You you could. You're not allowed allowed. Okay, but they ain't going like you know, bust down the door unless you're like distributing it. (laughs) Yeah. Right. But at least where we were in Dahran, Saudi Arabia, you, there's no liquor stores. Now, if you went across the causeway to Bahrain, um, that's where they had, they had liquor. Um, And there are some countries in the Middle East that, that do allow uh, for alcohol. Uh, Dubai, evidently. Oh um, yeah, that that's the tigers in the gold chain. <laughs> yeah, now that's the tiger. Now those cats, yeah, they 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 yeah, they got it going on wealth wise, man, and creativity and innovation and all that stuff. Yeah, but um, you know, from from Vermont, I ended up going to a boarding school. Excuse me, a college. It was a Baptist college called Liberty University. So LU, Liberty University in Lynchburg, Virginia, and that was a different culture. Um, so Vermont's all white. In, in the sticks. And then I end up transferring or not transfer, but end up getting accepted to, and that's a whole different story, but, uh, <laughs> I'm loving, this is incredible right. to me, dude. I feel right. like I'm meeting my homie for the first time. <laughs> right, right, right. It's cool. It's, uh, so here, here's a word to the wise. If any young people happen to be listening, or if you're a parent and got young people and if they want to go to college, make sure that they do what they need to do. Uh, their junior and senior year as far as applications and because I did not. (laughs) (laughs) I like it. (laughs) Transparency leads to transformation. Right. Yes. Yes. I did not. I, um, so here's the thing. (laughs) I was, (laughs) I was having such a great time, man. I'm just blessed, man. I'm just blessed. So when I was in St. Johnsbury Academy, <laughs> my junior year, me and my homeboys, we ended up putting a band together. It was called Arabian Nights. That's dope. And we had, and so you got to understand also in my boarding school, man, there were, there, there were uh, ambassador sons, playwrights, kids. We had Japanese rock and roll stars, son at our school. So there's all these big wigs kids and they're all dope they're mad cool everybody was mad cool for the most part uh, a couple of knuckleheads but the majority of them were cool but then anyway, we ended up putting a band together and one of the one of our guitarists was a, a, a japanese brother takahiro uh <laughs> and he uh man he could kill it on a guitar man but i say that to say part of the reason i didn't get shit done was because i was having such a blast man we had a band called arabian nights i also had a dj business called uh music express so I combined the two. So we were traveling throughout Vermont with our band and the DJ and performing. Wow. As high schoolers and getting paid and getting paid. And we were doing proms. We were just doing just little, you know, whatever dances they want us to do. And 
So I'm having a blast because I'm getting a little bit of money while I'm, you know, in high school, not having to ask my parents for money. I'm also the uh, student council vice president. And, you know, so I'm, I'm having a blast, man. I'm like, uh, I'm also working with another band. I forget the the name right now, but uh, it was an older white band. Uh, they would bring me on uh, their shows and I get paid. We do weddings and I come out and do a set and they pay me for that wow. um, throughout Vermont. You know, I was underage, so a lot of the places they played, uh, I'd have to be, I, I sound like one of these like guys from the 40s and 50s where like, I had to be in the back and I couldn't come out until yeah. my time. But that's kind of how it was. I was like, I had to either sit in the back of the room or in the kitchen because I was underage, so I couldn't really be in the establishment. Yeah. Um, but when it was my turn to sing, my set came on. I, I come out there, do my set, and they have to go back. Smoking and drinking on stage. Right. <laughs> I remember those days too, bro. That, that happened to me too, but that's funny. Yeah, you know, just in the back chilling. And so, uh, but man, I was living the life. And so the thing is, is that the culture of that school was that they assumed everybody was getting done what they needed to get done because that's just, everybody was. And so I kind of fell through the cracks because they figured, I, I was also on honor roll. So they were like, oh, you know, he, he's handling this stuff just like everybody else. Yeah. But but uh, he was not. <laughs> <laughs> wow. So when it came time to uh, go to college and graduate, I realized, like, I forgot to put in some applications. <laughs> wow. <laughs> um, <laughs> and I don't know what happened, man. I I literally do not know how that really escaped me. I, Lord's will, perhaps? I, yeah, right. It's, it had to be, because I don't know. It's Yeah, I, I never really thought about it, thought about it until like, I'm like, wait a minute, how, how <laughs> did, didn't somebody say something to me? Like, what's? I wonder what I said. Like, hey, you got to get in this van, bro. We got another show at 5 p.m. <laughs> <laughs> we got shit to do, Jamal. <laughs> right? <laughs> I don't know. So when it came time, I was like, oh, snap. I don't have anywhere to go. <laughs> wow. So I call my dad who's in Saudi and I'm like, dad, uh, I'm graduating, but I don't know where I'm going. And he's like, what do you mean? <laughs> I'm like, uh, and again, my parents never went to college. My dad and mom went straight military. So they don't know anything about the college world. Yeah. That's part of the reason why he made the choices he made. So somebody else could help us, you know, yeah. get through all that. But, and so he ended up sending his uh, my mom out, uh, which she was going to come anyway for graduation, but she came out a little bit earlier because she was like, what are you going to do? Because you can't just go back to Saudi. This goes back to your point of you, you really have to have a per. You can't go, go. I couldn't go back and live in Saudi for a long period of time. You have to get permission from the consulate or the king and his team for you to be. You, In other words, in Dahad on Saudi Arabia, there's no visitors. Wow. Meaning you can't, it's not a tourist state or a tourist country. So I couldn't just go and no. visit if I wanted to. No, no, no. You got to get permission. Wow. So, and they don't, they don't allow a lot of that to happen. Now, Dubai is something totally different, right? But in Dahad on Saudi Arabia, yeah, no, 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 no. So it's not like I could go home and be like, okay, I'm just going to kick it here for another year and a half. Nope. Yeah. Nope, nope, nope. That's Man, not the an, privileges we got here, huh? That's not an option. That's not an option. So my dad was definitely salty. He was like, what are you going to do? Because you can't. And I'm not leaving, he said. <laughs> <laughs> I'm not leaving Saudi. So uh, so anyway, he ended up coming out after a little bit further after graduation. And we ended up driving down the coast 
and me trying to find out where I was going to go to school. Now, mind you, again, I was having such a blast, man. I was getting awards at graduation for public speaking and for personality and academics. It was crazy, man. I walked away with like three or four awards. Um, again, just let you know, that's how much fun I was having. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and Natural, too. You're just natural at it. Drop, drop the ball, but drop the ball. Even when you have it, you can mess up. And yeah. so we're driving down the coast, and now I'm trying to go to different. I'm, my dad's, we're pulling over at different junior colleges and different colleges because I don't miss the deadlines. So uh, it's not easy to get accepted to, to schools uh, if you miss deadlines and things of that nature. And the other thing, too, is do I want to go to these certain schools? So like, I remember we pulled over at one school and uh, Whitney Houston had had uh, gone there when she was younger. She was only, I mean, she didn't graduate from there from what I know, but she had attended there for a little bit. And so at the same time, I am trying to fill out some applications. And then uh, my cousin who went to Liberty University, she had some connections in the front office and was like, hey, you want to come out this way? Maybe I can, you know, see what we can do as far as, you know, late application and acceptance and all that. We'll see what, what we can do. Because, again, I had my grades were great, accolades and all that stuff. So it's not that that was the issue. But it did say a little bit about my character, yeah. <laughs> not getting stuff done, right? But until I tell the story. And then they're like, eh, maybe. Yeah. Uh, right? yeah. Hey, it's true. <laughs> and so then um, my cousin ends up, uh, they hear about my accolades or whatever, and I end up getting a scholarship, some monies they had for a debate club. So I end up going to this college that, because uh, mind you, again, a lot of the colleges that we stopped in and saw were, some weren't my style, some were like just old Victorian or, and wow. you got to mind, you know, when I went to boarding school, I was in a str extremely structured environment, which means, you know, we had to, we had sit down dinners every Monday at five o'clock. We had to be in the dorms, you know, by by like nine thirty, ten o'clock. We had lights out at ten thirty. We had study hall from seven to nine o'clock every day. On the weekends, we had to be Man. back in by if you were a freshman and sophomore it was eleven o'clock. By junior seniors, twelve o'clock. You had to clean up your make sure your room was clean. You had to wear button-down collar and tie and shoes. So there was a lot of structure. There was a lot of structure. But when you're thinking of college, you're like, woo, yeah. have a good time and do me. What's up? Yeah. Well, going to Liberty University, which is a Baptist college, <laughs> <laughs> that's not the case. Uh, it was more strict than my boarding school. Man, we had church five times a week. Yeah, which is, it was just doesn't seem, I mean, if you're spiritual and, you know, because a lot of the kids that were there were, were PK kids, preacher kids, and maybe they didn't mind that. But don't get me wrong, then there was like this cohort of students that were buck wild, like buck wild. They were like, whoa, we out of the house. Yeah, yeah. Whoa. And this is a Christian school, right? And I was looking at them like, y'all really wild like hold up like yeah. I, I ain't even going that far over oh we had we had these phones in the room that connect to other phones okay uh, throughout the campus those were cut off at like midnight couldn't listen to secular music couldn't look at, listen to secular music at even all. in the states when you were here the well, liberty, liberty, well this is at liberty university wow. so this is a college wow the only movies you could go to were pg thir uh pg movies you couldn't go to pg 13 movies just pg movies wow 
you had to be, yeah, you had to be back in the dorms by midnight, period. If they find out you went to a to a concert of some sort, you get kicked out of that school. Wow. And so, so it was a whole different culture going to a Baptist college. I call it Baptist college. And trying to move in that space. And again, it's predominantly white. So it wasn't for me. It was for a lot of people, meaning it was a good fit for them, but it wasn't for me. So I started to do what I should have done my junior and senior year, <laughs> which is apply to colleges. Yeah. But I, only, I was only looking at one or two. I can't remember the one or two. I mean, I know the one I definitely, I was looking at Temple University. So I got accepted to Temple University in Philadelphia. These are all the different spaces I've been in, from Inglewood to Atlanta to Saudi to Vermont to a Baptist community or, excuse me, uh, Christian school, now to Temple University in Philadelphia. TU is an amazing school, but it is in the middle of the city. And at least when I was going there, it was kind of in the... If you go outside of the boundaries of Temple University, you're kind of in the in the throes of it, if you will. Yeah, you know, I mean, it's a little little rough. But as long as you were within the boundaries of Temple University, like on the campus, which is which is large. Don't get me wrong. I mean, it's long and it's wide. And but if you go outside of those boundaries, you're kind of kind of on your own. And that's where I began to like really deal with a lot more black people, other than Atlanta. But now I'm older, of course. And, yeah. And again, learning how to move because. I didn't stay just on the campus. I mean, I'm out in the community with folks and um, learning, watching, studying. And so that was a whole different culture. I bet. Yeah, absolutely. So there, yeah. So like I said, we got uh, Inglewood, Atlanta, Vermont, Liberty University, Temple University. Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia was in there. Yeah, no doubts, no doubts. And then also, then finally, where I'm stuck now, I mean that in a loving way, (laughs) was I transferred from (laughs) Temple University to U of A. Wow. University of Arizona. And so this is a whole different culture. All right. Uh, all right. Well, before we go into that, <laughs> I got a couple questions for you. So um, my bad. as Don't far worry. as I, no, 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 you're good. This is, this is so fascinating, bro. I love this. This is, this makes my heart happy. Do you still talk to some of your homeboy? Like you said, you had a, you had friends that were like rockers from like different countries. Do you still keep in contact with all those friends from back then? So yeah, everybody, of course, Facebook yeah. definitely helps with that. Uh, some of them we definitely connect. We don't talk on a regular, but, you know, we'll see stuff that people, you know, put up and I'll be like, oh, what's up, man? What's good? That's cool. Um, yeah. So, I mean, Facebook, that, I mean, if it wasn't for Facebook, that that wouldn't yeah. happen whatsoever. So, shout out Mark Zuckerberg. Yeah. <laughs> that's cool. I mean, that's got to be so interesting to see your friends in different countries doing different oh, yeah. things, you know, how they turned out. Like, that's especially experienced life like that. It's very interesting. Well, you said your dad had came back and you guys went and drove the coast mm-hmm. shortly after you graduated. Did he come back because you didn't have those options? Oh, yeah, yeah, like, yeah. Oh, okay. Yeah. I wasn't sure if that was why he had to come back. No, no, that's why I came back early. Definitely he came back early and he was supposed to. Uh, yeah, Moved that's why here? No, 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 no. Oh, just no, to visit. No, just to, yeah, okay. start his vacation earlier than he had to. He had to use extra <laughs> hour, uh, time. Yeah, he wasn't happy, man. He wasn't happy at all. Yeah, that's the first time I think I see my dad the most disappointed in me. Oh, uh, man. So that hurt a little bit. But, uh, you know, we bounced back, and he ch- chalked it up to a teenager and dumb decisions. So and it was. It was. <laughs> so so when, you went to, uh, when you went to TU, did you have a hard time with, with like, you know, because like you said, there was – you were out there was a little bit more gritty, a little bit more stuff that you had to deal with, but you also still had that structure of the college. Being so structured growing up, being an adult, 
at TU and being able to make those decisions going out there to the streets. Did you have a hard time with that? Did the structure keep you balanced or did you wild out a little bit? No, you know, yeah, the structure uh, kept me balanced. And I think also just the things that my parents instilled in me. Yeah. Um, I was blessed, man. And again, you got to, and, and of course we haven't gotten into it here and there's a lot, I mean, cause my story is just so, so full, but you know, just seeing like people deal with uh, substances and challenges in, in, you know, in their lives coming up and, you know, I used to visit um, when we were in Saudi before I came back to the States. We used to visit, you know, in Philadelphia because my dad's from Philly. Yardley, Pennsylvania, Bristol, all up in that corridor. And New Jersey, Trenton, Trenton, New Jersey. And so we would come back and visit family and stuff like that. And, you know, my cousins, shout out my cousins. I uh, love y'all, man. They um, they taught me a lot of things. My one cousin, Michael, kind of came close. He showed me a little bit about about the streets showed me a little bit about the projects. And even before that, we used to come back and just see challenges people were having with substances and money and stuff like that. And so, and my dad and mom educating me, you know, showing me the word of God, it was like, I knew I could go sideways and that the sacrifices that they were making for us, I wanted to do, do good. And so what I did play with as far as the structure was, and had to learn was how how to not go too far right or too far left, right? But I was a quick learner. And it's, I think partly just my personality and what God put in me, right? I don't like to mess up, mess up. You know what I mean? If I like kind of mess up a little bit, I'm like, ooh, okay, let me pull back. Yeah. Right? Yeah. You know what I mean? I don't, I don't have to go too far down into the trenches to realize, okay, I'm going the wrong way. Yeah. Some other people and their personalities, I get it. They need They need that. But that that just that's not me, and so I think had I not had structure, then I definitely would have went off the rails. I mean, as far as you know, partying and bad decisions yeah. and things of that nature. But I think because boarding school had this structure to it, it helped me have a, um, and it's almost to a fault, uh, almost because I mean I'm so structured. Like I have a hard time with spontaneity. I can do it. Don't get me wrong, but it takes a lot more out of me to do something spontaneously than because if it doesn't fit my structure, you know, I'm kind of like, Ooh, like, you know, an example is, uh, I do karaoke Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Mm -hmm. my boy, you know, he called me last night and he was like, Hey man, I saw this spot, man. It's got, you know, it's Monday night and they're, they're starting it up. And I'm like, Ooh, (laughs) that's going to be a no for me, dog. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like, Ooh, that don't, that don't fit in the structure. Hold up, I only do that Thursday, Friday, Saturday. So, you know, things like that. Again, like I said, two more. But structurally, I think um, it definitely helped me personally. And I, I didn't need to fly off the rails to experience and, and, and have a good time. So it was cool. It was cool for me, man, structure-wise. But I, but the thing that's interesting is I saw so many people, man. And I think that's the other thing. So for me, and this is what's so interesting about people, right? is and all the people that I've worked with and the people you've worked with, you know, being BHT and me being working in residential facilities and a counselor and this, that, and the other is all of us are so different, man, as far as just who we are and how we react and what we need. And it's um, interesting that I just didn't, I, I'm a quick learner. I can learn from what you're doing. I don't necessarily have to go through it. Yeah. But there are some people that are like, I saw you messed up. 
but I need to go through it myself. Hard head, bro. <laughs> right? Yeah. And, and and yeah, so and that's just different people. And I get it. You know, sometimes like my brother, he he got to do it himself, even though he know that. And it, and it possibly could be a different outcome for them, him, you know, whatever. But I'm just not that person. I'm not type like, mm, yeah, I don't think I'm going to jump off that cliff. I don't care. Yeah, <laughs> like, <no. laughs> if I have to change the, uh, you know, my leg movement and my arms, maybe I yeah. can do it better. But there's some cats that are like, you know what? Well, he didn't jump off quite right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So let me try it. Uh, and that's and that's cool. I mean, I, I, I get it when I say it's cool. I mean, I, I understand that that mentality of, I got to do it, but, but but let's then talk about some different things you can do. So when I was in college and uh, even boarding school, I mean, I saw people get kicked out because they didn't want to follow the rules. I saw you know, people drop out of college because, you know, they wanted to get, they wanted to overly, you know, indulge in substances and, and things of that nature. So, yeah. but yeah, that wasn't me, you know, always strapped up as far as like, you know, the put the helmet on the soldier. You know what I'm saying? Because I wasn't trying to get nobody pregnant. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, absolutely. I was like, <laughs> absolutely. No, I, I mean, I think to me, you know, being born and raised in America and seeing only this culture. Right. I mean, it, it's 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 crazy. Even working in these type of facilities, you know, you see the excess. We were just talking about this with that boy, Justin. Like I was telling you about my homeboy, Justin, that came in here that came from South Africa. You know, the, that song Hotel California from the mm -hmm. Eagles mm -hmm. is talking about all the excess from when they came to to Los Angeles for the first time, all the sex, all of the mm -hmm. drinking, you know, the excess. And I can only imagine, you know, somebody who was raised with that structure, that that is a huge blessing in itself because you're able to see how you could easily fall off the rails, easily go left, easily go right. For a lot of kids that are growing up, especially nowadays with the drug epidemic, you know, fentanyl is getting out of control, all these mm -hmm. drugs out there. People are growing up without parents. You know, your, your father instilled that in you, that he helped keep that generation going and not have a generational curse. You know, there's a lot of people growing up with generational curses. Yeah, Don't yeah. have their parents, no structure. All they know is the excess. All they know is, you know, best clothes, all this food, sex. I yes, mean, sir. bro, I mean, it, it's it's crazy. There's a lot of people who, uh, like I said, unless you've been out of the country, you can't really appreciate all of the luxuries we have here. A lot of us take them for granted. No doubt. So it was inter it's interesting you say that. That's one of the things that my dad did. So the other thing I didn't share, and again, this is why I'm a privileged black man, and shout out my dad, you know, may he rest in peace, and my moms, thank her for the sacrifices they made for us. I mean, and, and, well, let me say this first, and then I'll say that, but is um, I, I got to travel the world, my brother and I. I mean, I've been to Costa Rica. I've been to Vienna. I've I want to go there so bad. I've been dude. to... I mean, I, where have, I mean, we've been to so many different countries. Awesome. And one of the things that um, um, my dad wanted us to see also in our travels was what it means to not have money, what it means to be in a third world country. What's interesting is when we look at people that are socio, uh, low socioeconomic status here or don't have money, if you will, or, or what we call poor and this is not an excuse and not that things should be better, but I, I want to just people to understand that the, a lot of the times the things even that people that are are lacking here in the U.S., it's nothing compared to a third world country. And I say that having been to third world countries where like we get upset as we should with people being unsheltered and we need to do better. and. There are countries, though, where 
you know, people that are unsheltered here, if they can get access, can at least get clean water. Yeah. They can go into ask that restaurant or um, restaurant owner and or patrons, you know, hey, can I can I get some food? In these third world countries, I mean, there just are no toilets or running water or I mean, food's hard to come by by even the person that's supposedly doing well. Right. They they can't even ask, you know, in third world countries, the person that is even lower can't even ask the what might be the doing well person, can you give me something? Even though they they do, right? Because that's just it's just an interesting um uh philosophy, way of being, or it's just interesting. Different cultures look at, at different things differently and how yeah. they help one another. And I and that goes to your point earlier too of just you know, my worldview is different because I grew up in different countries and seen different things that most Americans haven't. Mm-hmm. Uh, one thing that we didn't talk about is even like, you know, I was in the country during Desert Storm. It's when we had the war. Uh, my, my family was there. And I got to see and go out on the uh, front line and meet the troops that were out there. And all I could see was a sea of black and brown faces on the front lines. Uh, oh, we, wow. had ga- we had gas masks you know, in our house. So like if, you know, a missile came or something like that, we had to be able to put those on. And so I've seen a lot of different things and, and and I don't want people to walk away thinking that I'm saying that just because our unsheltered are less than that, we shouldn't do more for, I'm not saying that at all. My, My only point is just that privileged, you know, Americans, we are privileged, but there are some countries that are doing a lot better than us. And there are some that are doing a lot worse than us. And I think we should recognize that and be aware that I personally believe that there's something for us to gain from uh, everybody, Yeah, you know, worldwide. And yes, I love the mentality of us being great, but they're um, an amazing and um, number one, but there are a lot of things that we could be doing better and that we can learn from each other. And that's even when it comes to prevention, intervention, and treatment of uh, substances. So, but yeah, privilegedness is, is a, is a good thing. Um, I think if we use it, if we use it correctly. And so the the thing I was going to share with you earlier, Buddha was, um, I keep saying that my parents made a sacrifice and people may be thinking, well, psh, y'all were making money. You traveling the world, you got Mercedes Benz cars and this, that, and the other. Well, the thing is, is that you have to understand is that we also lost some freedom. Yeah. We lost freedom because when you're in somebody else's country, you don't necessarily get the rights that you have as an American. You no, no excuse me. You don't have the rights of an American when you're in somebody else's backyard and in their country, you have to abide by their rules and laws. And, and by doing so, they're not the same as America. You don't have freedom of speech and innocent until proven guilty. Like in Saudi Arabia, you're guilty until proven innocent. (laughs) That's crazy. Period. You know what I mean? So, and you don't, you know, have the resources that, you know, you may have access to in the United States. So it's just like with, uh, what was my homegirl's name? The basketball woman, uh, Grant Graner, Brittany Graner, who got caught with the marijuana going into Russia. Yeah. See, I grew up knowing that if I ever got caught, because of partly because of my mom, right? You, you, you SOL. Yes. If the U S can help you. Yes. But 
you don't get to carry that American privilege in different countries. They don't give an F. Yeah, it doesn't exist. They 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 don't care. Matter of fact, they may think you're arrogant and you're whatever. They don't care. And so that's what's really interesting, having the opportunity that I've had in learning how to move again, move in Inglewood, move in Atlanta, how to move in a you know rural boarding school, how to move at a Liberty University College, excuse me, Liberty University at college, how to move at Temple in the, in the, in the streets, how to move um, when you're in a different country, when you travel. Because Americans, like, a lot of times go to these different countries with this bravado of, like, oh, I'm the ish. No, you're not. You are not. Yeah. You don't have the protections that you think you do. So you best be careful. It's the same way when you're in the streets, in the hood. I know I can't move the same way in certain barrios or certain projects that I may think I can move somewhere else. That's all street knowledge and stuff like that. And so... The sacrifices that my parents made were us not being able to necessarily move like an American. And even with that, but what was kind of cool, though, in one regard, is that in Saudi, like the white people in Saudi are kind of like, and not frowned upon is not the right word, but again, they don't have the clout. But my dad and my, our family as black people, we kind of had clout. Wow. They weren't, they weren't. Uh, offended by us. They weren't degraded by black Americans. They weren't, matter of fact, a lot of them look like us, right? And the majority of them are dark skinned. So of course, white people with the, the majority of them, right? With the privilege of being white, think that, that they're superior. But in Saudi Arabia, you white, you are the one that's out. Wow. And so, so interesting. But we as black people, they were kind of like, what's up? How you doing? You're all right, what's up? We got you. You know what I mean? That's a different feeling of being able to walk around and be like, but the other part of it, though, that that we knew that, that was there, though, is that we're American. Yeah. So it's still like, uh, but at least we're not white in America. You're cool, but watch your ass. Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> right, for real, for real. <laughs> hey, don't, don't slip up. You know? hey, we're giving you a pass, but hey, you mess oh, up, we'll, we'll pull it. Um and so that was that was really interesting, man, to be able to have the love in this country and maybe, like I said, a pass if needed um, because of the skin, the skin um, tone of my color. Wow. That was dope. It was dope. And so so that's what I mean by like my mom couldn't drive outside of the compound. So, you know, my mom, when she go outside of the compound, had to cover up cover up her hair and her arms. Wow. And so she sacrificed a lot of things, you know, for us to be able to have this privilege. It didn't come easy. And I think that's, um, I don't want to digress too far, but just a, a statement in being able to have things or opportunities, you have to, there, there is some sacrifice involved. Okay. And I think when we apply that to mental health and substance use, misuse and abuse and people on the road to recovery, in, in order to have that recovery, you, you have to sacrifice some things. Sacrificing those things can and probably will help you be and do better. Amen. Uh, but you have to just sometimes be willing to make that sacrifice of, I, I call it changing your play friends, your playground, and your play things. Mm. Sometimes that can hurt. 
because you're like, but no, no, I don't want to, I don't want to leave these friends because you know we used to do A, B, and C, get high, get drunk, da da da, or you know do whatever, and then you play things or you got to give up, you know, what I'm saying that 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 pipe or the the paraphernalia or you know whatever, uh, your play uh, grounds are, you may not be able to go to that same restaurant or bar or you know community function because that's where you can get caught up yeah so sacrificing some of those things i think that's for almost any of us to get ahead and that's even for me now as i'm thinking about my business like oh man okay what do i need to change what do i need to sacrifice so that i can grow so that's awesome yeah man it's uh my my life is you know my wife tells me your your story is so interesting i'm like not really. And she's like, oh, my God, it's so interesting. It's pretty, it's pretty interesting, bro. <laughs> I'll be real. That's pretty, that's pretty cool. Like, what? I don't. So anyway, man, that's a, this is a lot of stuff I don't share with people because one of the things that I learned, I mean, I'll tell my story pieces at, at a time. Yeah. But here's the other thing, too, that I learned in, you know, growing up in Saudi and being a black man whose dad and mom had money, people thought I did. And so when I would travel from Saudi to the U.S., so at 13, 14 years old, man, I'm traveling by myself. Wow. I mean, I'm on a plane. I'm going from Vermont to New York, New York to Amsterdam, Amsterdam to Saudi. Or I'm going from, I don't know, Vermont to Chicago, Chicago to L.A., L.A. to London, and then to Saudi. I'm traveling by myself. And so... One of the things as I was growing up, my dad, he was teaching us because he knew that we would have to leave. He would teach us how to move in the airport and how to pay attention to what's happening and what's going on because you can get you can get got pretty simply. I mean, there's there's always people, you know, trying to trying to get you. And especially like in New York, uh, when I go to LaGuardia or I go to JFK, always had to have your head kind of like on swivel to a certain degree because there's cats that'll get you, man. You know, from from a taxi cab to some type of scheme to pickpocketing you to taking your luggage to um, whatever, and um, had to learn just how to just pay attention at a at a young age, and it was beneficial to me. And a lot of my friends had to do the same thing. Wow. Um, so yeah, we yeah, staying in a hotel, you had to get a hotel in New York by yourself at 13, 14 years old. That's crazy. Like Kevin McAllister in the limo yeah, with the yeah. cheese pizza. <laughs> yeah. And we sometimes we'd get a limo and we'd like, you know, uh tra- get a limo from uh LaGuardia to JFK or wow. sometimes we get a limo from Vermont to Boston or yeah, yeah we do crazy stuff, man. Crazy That's stuff. cool, bro. So, I mean, like, you know, you were talking about when you came here to the U of A, when you got transferred, you know, just going back to your story, that that was a completely different thing. And you've been yeah. here ever since. How was that? Yeah, different? yeah, that was totally different, man, in a sense of, uh, you know, I thought I was getting back into the mainstream of the United States, if you will, because I was out in rural, you know, mm-hmm. Vermont. And then I go to Philly and I'm like, all right, cool, the city, what's up? We See moving you? and grooving. And then I'm thinking like, you know, Arizona. I didn't know anything about Arizona. My brother applied to go to school out here and I hadn't been with him in a few years. So I wanted to rekindle our relationship and make sure that we were good. And so, um, man, I get out here, man, get off the plane. <laughs> and I'm like, what the hell did I do? I'm like, ah, cause 
you know, you landing in the desert again. Oh, for me again. Yeah. A, a desert. I look around, I just see these mountains, if you want to call them mountains. And I'm just like, <laughs> man, what did I do? I'm like, and then like the pace out here is mad slow. You know what I mean? You think about from LA to Philly to New York. I mean, people are moving. I mean, this, the way they dress, the way they uh, think, the way that they talk, the way that they, I mean, you're moving. Here, it was so slow and I mean, hardly no transportation really. And even today, it's crazy. Transportation ain't that the greatest. Yeah. You know I mean, we just got a streetcar, right? You know, in Tucson, <laughs> at least. And and actually in Phoenix, too, right? I mean, that's all within the last 10 years. Yeah. Um, and so it just felt different, man. And then, um, you know, for me, being a black man, it was hard to find, like, the black community. And again, I'm not a, a sports person, meaning uh, play sports or anything like that. And so when I went to the U of A, People all, even when I went to Temple, everybody thought that I played football or I was, you know, part of some type of sport team. Um, and it's like, nah, I'm just here for academics, y'all. <laughs> and they're like, what? A black yeah. dude? Academics? Wait, wait, wait. How'd you get in here and you don't play sports? I'm, I'm kind of smart, I guess. Yeah. <laughs> right? And so even coming to the U of A, people were like, oh, so what sport do you play? No, nah, I don't. No, nah, no, nah, I don't. Play no sports. Uh, wow. What you doing? Well, just going to classes. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> yeah. And so trying to find a, you know, a community um, that was black and not necessarily just sports related was a little challenging. So I ended up hanging a lot, a lot with the Mexican bros. And that's where I kind of built camaraderie there. And don't get me wrong, still kicking with the black community too. But also just found some similarities Yeah, more so. And I found it in Temple too with black and Dominicans and Hispanic and Latinx and Puerto Ricans and and that's where I began also kind of, but then again, I, I grew up with them in Saudi too. So it was, you know, again, the minorities stick together. Yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? No matter, in Saudi, there was only so many of us. And so the darker skinned people would kind of look out for each other. And then Vermont, same thing. Darker skinned folks kind of just looked out. And then going to uh, Liberty University was something totally different. Temple, definitely. And then out here. So the um, looking at uh, the difference was, just the slowness and it might be because it's so hot you know what i'm saying yeah. like <laughs> yeah absolutely it might be because it's just so hot. everyone's dehydrated right right and like you know what uh we should just slow it down <laughs> uh, <laughs> just keep it cool uh but but one of the things that i i recognized in tucson specifically that's amazing um and i don't know if this is i feel it most on the south side that's where i live work and play is Man, just the warmth, the food, the, mm. um, I don't know, man. It's just a feeling. And I don't know if everybody gets it, but I get it and feel it from the community. And again, it might be just because of the way I move. And that's not try, trying to be, you know, arrogant or anything like that. But I feel so comfortable. I feel like more so than I would. And, you know, I'm, I'm doing well in life, but I would never feel comfortable in the foothills. Yeah. Could I probably... I, I know I could definitely afford a house up there, but that's just not, I, I want to be where I'm comfortable. You know yeah. what I mean? And, and, if, and for certain people or some people, they may be like, oh man, but you know, you don't have like the, you know, the nice big house and the, and the, the, the name of, I live in the foothills or yeah. I live in Dove Mountain. Or yeah. I live, you know, I don't need all that though, man. What I need to be is comfortable and I need to be embraced. And that's what I get from Tucson at least on the side of town that I live, where it's just, for the most part, I feel love. 
You know what I mean? And so from people that I've talked with, they feel this, that Tucson has a certain feel to it that they like also. And that's why a lot of people like being here. Yeah. Uh, From music to arts, to the culture, to the food. So when I say different, yeah, I think, and it's, it's, it's a big, small town. If that makes sense. That makes very much sense. Yep. You know what I mean? Like it's, it's not small, small, and it's not big, big, but it's kind of big enough. I mean, we're not Phoenix. Um, You know, when I think about Philly, it's not Philly. It's not as small as like when I was in Vermont in Lynchburg, Virginia It's probably about the same ish, but a lot more flavor. Yeah, absolutely. <laughs> if you come from a really small town, it's enough to kind of get that big city like feel. And it's like if you're coming from Phoenix, it's enough to be grateful that your city ain't as big as Phoenix. Is. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. It's, exactly. Like, it's too so, much. So yeah. So that's the that's the difference that I see, man. And um, you know, definitely looking for opportunity. You know, to once my kids are growing up, maybe to you know maybe go feel somewhere else. But I, I don't even know where that is because I mean, when I look at Philly, man. I mean, excuse me, uh, Phoenix. I'm like. I go up there a lot for trainings and conferences and yeah. speaking and stuff like that. Man, that traffic, I'm like, God dang, man. Like, yeah. I, I don't know if I want to mess. It reminds me of L- L.A., you know what I mean? Like 405 and whatnot. It's like, dang, dog. Yeah. So anyway, yeah, that's one of the things that I noticed. Um, and when I say, um, you know, especially when you're in college and you want a lot of nightlife or, uh, you know, Philly had a lot of that. So to, to go from Philly to Tucson definitely was a, a, a shock. Yeah. Uh, it was like, Dang, man, I was in the city. <laughs> yeah. And, and I got to figure it out. And going back to that comfortability thing, it's like you've never really had that because you've always had to move. You've always had changes, and which is cool because it allows you to adapt to different situations and move in different places. Like, yes. I think that's that's a really cool trait to have. Yeah. You but I think that, I think the, the downside of that, um, as I'm you know getting a little older now, is because I, I still want to move, meaning make moves and do things. That because I did so much of it my entire life, I'm kind of like, man, I just want to chill. But if I want to continue to grow, I gotta, I gotta keep doing some of those uncomfortable things. Yeah. And sometimes you get tired of being uncomfortable. Yeah. Sometimes you just want something that's kind of like, whew, okay, I know this. Right. And so that's one of the things I'm battling with myself now is like, all right, man, you know how to do this, man. Come on, let's go ahead and make these changes and, you know, shake it up and do it. And so, uh, and that's from a business standpoint of just taking off, you know, taking risk and yeah. being uncomfortable, uh, comfortable or being uncomfortable. Uh, that's definitely cool, man. And like, you know, like I said, having you as a friend, we, we've met in, in different circles and, and had fun and hung out together and stuff. But being able to hear your story is absolutely fantastic. Like getting to know you a little bit more makes a lot more sure. sense. You know what I'm saying? So, I mean, I know you've been out here for Tucson for how, how many years now? How, how now, man, I've been here for a minute, man. So 94, 95. Mm. Stuck. So, yeah, yeah. Okay, you came at the perfect time. The music was popping. Yeah, was good. man. It was, oh, man. Oh, man, yeah. Tucson, definitely, 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 definitely. Yeah. It was dope. It was dope. That's cool, and 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 so now in the community, LPKNC, that's where that's what that's your baby, that's what you do. Yes, you know, explain that a little bit. What is that? Yeah, man. So you know, asking how I kind of got into this work, you know, heard a little bit about my history. Um, it just felt like continuing to work with people because that's who I engage with all through my travels and hearing their stories and what held people back was you know substances and um, out of college. Got a job. I became a senior residential counselor. And then um, 
So did that for years and then ended up working in the projects, what they call the project here in Tucson. And that kind of blew me away because I was kind of like, um, these ain't the projects, bro. These, <laughs> They're still standing. These, right, right. <laughs> Y'all got some of these houses got backyards and in their houses. They're, you know, I'm like, what's going on here? Because again, coming from Philly and oh, yeah. New York and all that, seeing the high rises and uh, all that, it was just kind of kind of blew me away. That's tough work. The people were amazing. The young people were amazing. Just seeing their growth and stuff like that. Just loved it, man. Because I've always worked with youth. I was a big brother and sister. I was a big brother, big brother, sisters of America when I was at Temple. That's cool. um, so working there, and then um, ended up. Working in the 10th Ave Projects, which is down here in Tucson, and just fell in love, man, with the the youth, the families. And then that's where work with coalition began, because then I started working in the 36th and Park area, which was really known back in the day for 10th Ave Projects and 36th and Park area, really known for gang activity, was working with gangs, drugs, was running rampant. Um, and the 10th Ave Projects, I mean, they couldn't even get pizza delivered there. I mean, the piece of people wouldn't even wouldn't even go there. Wow. Um, 36 and Park. This again, this is when crack was was a big thing. The gangs were prevalent, definitely in 10th Ave and 36 Park area. You know, loved working with the young people, man, and just helping them to make you know good decisions and try to stay alive, basically. So, out of 36 and Park area, became came a coalition called Kino Neighborhood Kino Neighborhoods Coalition. Um, that was comprised of four neighborhoods, Las Vistas, Western Hills, South Park, and uh, Pueblo Gardens. Wow. And so um, that's where Keno Neighborhoods Council uh, Coalition came out of. And then Liberty Partnership was another coalition that was about about two miles down the street. And so me and the the woman, shout out Diana Jimenez-Young, uh, DJY, we collaborated. We met when we were young in our career, and we're best friends to this day. That's awesome. Um, and so uh, LP Can't See helping the community. We're pr- predominantly on the South side. You know, you helped us when we were the coalition yep. in creating a video that was dope. We got to put that in Harkins theater and stuff like that. That was kind of fun. Yeah, that was fun. Uh, yeah. And, um, and Mike, M- Michael, Mike. Shaheen. Yeah. Shaheen, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, man, man, his, you know, his skills, dope, 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 dope on the videography and stuff. But, um, and, yeah, man. So we have youth groups that we work with uh, predominantly in the Sunnyside Unified School District. We got uh, workshops that we do. And I think by us educating families and communities, reminding youth that sometimes, especially nowadays, and you mentioned it earlier, fentanyl, you know, this is not a scare tactic. And you know this, that literally one pill can kill you nowadays. Mm-hmm. You know, back in the day, it was kind of like, ah, uh, people just making making this up that drugs will kill you. Yeah, that's true. I mean, we definitely knew the meth can kill you and stuff like that, but not necessarily after just one hit. Mm-hmm. I mean, you pop that one pill nowadays, literally, that's it, man. Pills are like, I heard a client say that the pills are going for like a dollar a piece. Yeah, the they're a dollar a piece right now. Yeah, Die yeah. for a dollar, bro. Yep. And you don't know, man. You don't, and that's the other thing that's scary about it is you, I mean, with any drug, you really don't know because, I mean, if it's powder form, liquid form, you don't know what's in it. But the problem is, is that people are trying to pass these pills off as if though there's something else sometimes too, right? Like it's Adderall or, um, you know, whatever. Um, Percocet. Percocet, I would say Percs, yep. Um, uh, X-bars, right? But in them could be that fentanyl, which is not what you're searching for, but then you end up getting it and now you, you're gone. And so that's one of the things that we're looking at is we've always done prevention, intervention, and promoting mental health and wellness. Okay. And so, yeah, I mean, some of the stories we've had from young people are great saying that 
Uh, it was interesting. I had a, a young man the other day, man. Uh, it was actually in uh, November, November, December, November. I went to a school and I spoke. I did a, and some, I still use the, up to it. Yeah. Do it. We do it. Because uh, we used to it. Yeah, yeah. I used a, the, you know, Buddha did a, a, a track for me, if you will, or like a little 30-second clip that introduces me. Oh my God, I forgot all about that until you said that right now. Oh yeah, yeah, that's the one I'm talking about. Oh, I forgot. I know. I, I remember the 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 uh, thing. Yeah, yeah. I remember like the phrase, but I don't I don't remember doing that song. Like I, I remember now, but I have to hear it again. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's been a minute. It's been a minute. Yeah, I got it. I got it. You might want to drop it on him uh, uh, just to shake this up a little yeah. bit. <laughs> but uh, I, I got it on my phone. I use it still to, still to this day. But um, this young man, no man. After I spoke to to 300 students or whatever. He 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 caught me in Safeway, man, like a supermarket. It was during right around Thanksgiving, and he was like walking back and forth, like I'm in the aisle, right? And he's, I see this guy on the side of my eye, a young person. They kept going back and forth, you know, <laughs> passing by, and he looked, and he'd be like, and then he walked, and then he come back, and he looked down the aisle, and he'd be like, and then he finally got bold enough. He came down the aisle. He's like, "Hey, are you Mr. Jamal?" And I'm like, "Yeah." He's like. Up to it. What's up, man? Yeah. He's like, hey, I just want to let you know, man, you're one of the best speakers we had come talk to our school so far. He's like, but man, you're what you said, like, touch me. He's like, because sometimes I find it hard to not like um, make the bad choices that some of the other kids are. But what you uh, shared with me, let me know that it's okay for me not to, um, and that I'm not alone. He's like, and uh, that made me feel real confident. And so, and I was like, oh, thanks, man. I appreciate that, that's man. Cool. That's, what, that's what I'm trying to do. And I was like, so what year are you? He's like, I'm a freshman. I was like, what? Okay, that's what's up, man. I was like, well, hold on to that message, man, and keep it with you through the next um, you know, next three years until you graduate. I was like, well, you plan on graduating? He's like, yes, sir, I am, man. I'm going to make it happen, yo. And I was like, all right, cool. I was like, hey, but don't be rolling up on me like that, man. <laughs> <laughs> that's cool. That's cool. Yeah. So, I mean, that's what it's about, man. It's like, you know, hearing those type of things from young people saying that they sometimes, because the message out there is that everybody's using and everybody's doing it and the cool kids are doing it. When the fact of the matter is, man, 70% within Arizona, 70% of the youth are not using, but you don't, you don't get to see them shining and, or that it seems like that's cool. Yeah. But actually those are the cool kids. These 30% men are gambling. They're gambling with their life and their uh, their future relationships and their future occupations and their livelihood. Mm-hmm. Um, because out of that 30%, not everybody's going to you know, get out of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that battle, if you ain't got to do it, I, I wouldn't recommend it. I think the other thing that uh, is reminding people that it's okay to get get help especially uh, to our men out there. Again, this is for everybody, but, you know, for our men out there, I want to say, I want to talk to you and just let you know that it's not being weak asking for help. Mm. There's actually strength in asking for help. And I know society may make it seem as if, though, because I ask for help that I'm lesser than. But actually in asking for help, makes you more than because you recognize that I, I need assistance to, to go just a little bit further. And there's nothing wrong with that. Most successful people, I'll say all, I'll, I'll put it on the line. All successful people didn't do it by themselves. There's just no way they did not yeah. do it by themselves. And so if you want to be successful in your own personal life, 
not only monetarily, but with your relationships and, you know, making a positive impact in this world, it's okay to, to, to feel down. Um, but if you find yourself feeling down um, and out for longer than two weeks, you know, it's okay to, to seek that help. Yeah. It's okay to let a friend know. So it's okay to let a, you know, a significant other know like, Hey, I need some help or I need to talk or I need to, you know, for us guys, a lot of times we don't want to show our emotions and we want to keep things bottled up. That's not healthy. I know I've lost a, a few acquaintances, you know, due to suicide. I wish that they had reached out. And I wish that maybe I wasn't a little bit closer to them. Again, Facebook is great, but you know, when you're 10,000, 20,000 miles away, it's a little hard. Yeah. But, uh, but if you happen to be in the space where somebody is and, you know, you just check up on them or, I, I think I want to spend more time with this next sentence or two is just to say we're always um, sharing with people how to recognize the signs and symptoms. At least I train on that. I'm a cis trainer, safe talk, QPR, question, persuade, refer, suicide alertness for everyone, talk, ask, listen, keep safe, and QPR, excuse me, assist, applied suicide intervention skills training. So then we'll just throw those acronyms at it, folks, and then not know. Um is you know showing people the signs and symptoms, but what I like to let people know on this, uh, the, the the listeners is if you're ever, it's just as important if you can, to let somebody know that you're hurting, mm. because if you don't, you leave a lot of guessing to the people around you, and they may not have been trained to recognize those signs and symptoms, and we're gonna train them. There's a lot of, there's a, there's a force of people out there training them, even probably here at the art, you know, yep. they're trained in that. Um, and so we're in the community and we're moving. But if you, if, if you're feeling some type of way, it's okay to say, it's okay to talk about it. It's okay. I know Facebook and social media, Insta and TikTok make it seem like you got to put on this great face and yep. everything's got to be all right. And everybody's life is cool, but you know, the sad part is a lot of those people that we end up hearing of those influence that, that suicided, when we look back at their TikToks and stuff, we're like, oh, God, they, they weren't that happy. Yep. As soon as that camera goes off, right? I mean, just like you and I, you know, we're used to being on the mic. Yep. We can we can pull up that 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 character, if you were, that voice. Like, what's up? All right, cool, oh, yeah. right? Yeah. <laughs> and then, you know, shut it all down. And then be like, turn your phone off and yeah, be in a space, right? I feel you. And then it's in those moments that folks need to be like, you know, hey, let let, let me call Buddha up and and talk to him. Let me hit that, let me hit that hotline. You know what I'm saying? Let me hit that, the CRC, you know what I'm saying? Hit that number up. So I just want to let people know, man, hey, there's, there's strength in you sharing how you feel. There's nothing weak about it at all. So, so brothers out there, man, do, do your thing. Absolutely. Okay, talk about it. Okay, talk about it. So that's what LP Can does, man. And that's so yeah, that's cool. my baby right now. So yeah, that's all I that's all I got, man. It was fun telling my story. I, I'll probably have to watch this again or get the raw tape from you. That's why I'll write a book or something. I don't know. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, th- I think it's, I think it's awesome. And, and I mean, thank you so much, you know, for coming in and, and, and taking the time to, to share that story with it. It, it was such a pleasure for me, you know, as a homie too, dude, like being able to hear that, to know more about you and you know, just thank you for everything that you're doing in the community, helping, you know, our fellow brothers and sisters out there get up off the streets and get their lives together. And yes, you know, th- it's the same, even with, with the suicide prevention. I appreciate you speaking on that, too, because, you know, the suicide, suicidal ideations, homicidal ideations, addictive traits, all those things kind of go together, man. And, and we've talked about it all the time. It's really hard 
to clean a mess when you don't see it in the first place. A lot of us don't understand the root causes of why we use of why, you know, why we're, we're going through these emotions and feeling this turmoil on the inside. There's always something that needs to be unraveled. There's always a trauma. There's always something that causes it. And once you get a grip on it, once you get a grasp on that, it's a lot easier to heal from that point. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yeah, you can only, I like it. I like you can only uh, clean up what you know. So Absolutely. I like it, man. Yeah, I like man. It. Yes, sir. Absolutely, bro. Up to it. Down to it. We do it. Because we used to it. Amen. Yes, That's what it is. Ladies and gentlemen, give it up to my homeboy, Jamal, one more time, Woo! a.k.a. Mr. President El Presidente. Exactly. The man right here, bro. The killer. He kills it on the... Uh, on the karaoke's, man. This has yes, been my homie for a long time, so it's a pleasure to get him in here. You know, for all the listeners out there, I want to thank you so much for tuning in. Please share this with a friend, somebody who could benefit from listening to it. And thank you guys so much for the continued support. We hope you have an amazing rest of your week. Much love. God bless. And we will definitely see you on the next one. Peace. What's going on, everybody? This is Buddha from the Arcast, and I just wanted to thank you for checking out this week's episode. It means a lot, and if you could share it with a friend or a loved one, somebody you need in recovery, or maybe somebody who just needs that little bit of extra positivity in their life, we'd greatly appreciate it. If you would like to join us here on the Arcast, either in the studio live or online, hit us up. The links are down in the show notes of this episode, and on there, you can find direct links to our main website here at America's Rehab Campus and all of our social media platforms. Follow us. We keep the posts positive and motivational, focused on recovery, health, and wellness. As you know, in this modern day and age, we need as much love as possible, y'all. And as always, if you or somebody you know is in need of substance abuse treatment, please don't hesitate to give us a call. We're open 24 hours a day, and our direct phone number is 1-833-272-7342. Once again, that phone number is 1-833-272-7342. I hope you all have a beautiful rest of your day. Much love and God bless. Peace.